All righty. And we're back. Welcome back, everyone. That's going to be is, so loud. That's going to be so loud. Let's do that again. I am And we're back. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Rachel. I'm Caroline. And this is Vibing with Vino. We have not done this in a hot minute. I know. Caroline and I haven't recorded in so long. Because we so recorded we are... two in one day. Yeah. Which and... was a mess. A little bit. But yes, we're happy to be back. So happy because yeah. when Rachel and I don't record, we like don't talk. <laughs> this I know really... this is our it's our time to catch up here on the podcast. Literally. And we literally haven't talked in like a week and a half. At least. But now we're catching up. We're yes, back. We're back. Yeah. Well, what wine are we drinking today? Well, today we have something new and fun and flirty and fresh, and that is a canned wine. Wait, I kind of want to pop it and then be like, what's that? Is this a beer podcast now? And then you'll be like, it's canned wine. <laughs> All right, and this week we have something new. What was that, Caroline? Is this a beer podcast now? Nope, it's just canned wine. Wow! That was the cheesiest thing. I liked it. Okay. Today, we are drinking Underwood, The Bubbles. The Bubbles. This is from Union Wine Company, made in Oregon. Yes. And it is called, oh, hashtag pinkies down. Ah, pinkies down. (laughs) Grip your can firmly. Oh. (laughs) That that was just me saying that. Oh, I was gonna, I thought that it said it on the can, and I was like, where does it say that? That's a little saucy. No, that was just my little addition to it. Okay, cool. Okay. <laughs> All right, well, let me pop this open. Oh. Beautiful a beer sound. podcast? No. <laughs> Simply not. Well, you know, before we started recording, I asked Rachel, should we just like, be super casual and drink out of the can or should we be fancy and put it in glasses it's a casual day here we both agreed we're doing some can can so pinkies down let's cheers cheers this is my first bubbles sparkling wine on the podcast because you had a sparkling rosé the first episode that is true so so fun for you. Bubbles. <laughs> Bubbles. Bubbles is my favorite Powerpuff girl. Good to know. Who's, who's surprised? Not me. No. No. Okay. <laughs> yes. Okay. Back to life. Cheersing. Back to reality. This week we are cheersing to an artiste. An artiste. To a, a dude who has one less ear. Chopped it right off. And I think from that, you can understand that today we are cheersing to Vincent Van Gogh, the one, the only. Who was born on March 30th. 30th in like which is today. 1853, I think. Uh, hold on. I'm pretty sure it's 1853. Yeah, eighteen fifty three. Look at you. I know my I know my artists. 
You also looked it up before this. Don't tell them that. <laughs> she but, looked it up before this. <laughs> but there's another really exciting thing that happened to Vincent Van Gogh on March 30th besides being born. And that was that in 1987, his painting Sunflowers sold for a record amount at $39.7 million. Over a hundred years after he died. Which is goes to show that he was definitely not respected in his time. But cheers to him now. Cheers to all of the things that he did when he was alive to make us happier people now. Starry night and sunflowers. We love them. <laughs> cheers. Anyway, cheers to Vincent Van Gogh. Sorry you cut your ear off, but we love you now. He seems like a very tragic man, but... He was a very tragic man. Yeah. Why did he cut his ear off again? Because he was super depressed. Yeah, that seems a little, um... Irrational. He probably was Irrational? I'm gonna let you have that one. Come on. That was so good. <laughs> Moving on. Well. Moving on. Cheers to Vincent Van Gogh. Cheers to him. Good job, my dude. Happy birthday, my dude. Happy birthday. So I have to tell you a story. I'm ready. I had a dream about the podcast. I had a dream. About the podcast. Okay. So we were originally going to record this episode last week. And the night, I guess like the night before we were going to record. So like sleeping when I woke up that day we were recording. Uh Uh-huh. I had this dream that you and I were recording. And I was at my grandma's Kate May house. You were at home home, like Jersey home. Uh-huh. And you and I start talking. We're chit-chatting. We intro. And then my mom says something in the background. And you go, Lisa? And then I just panned the computer, my laptop over. And my mom was like sitting in a chair just off screen, like joining me, like had her <laughs> glass of wine, was literally going to sit there and like watch the podcast. Uh-huh. And then you go... And then you turned your laptop and Sam was right behind you. Like dad was right behind you in the same exact manner. And he had his wine glass. And so then it turned into a a guest show podcast because we both had our parents on. But Amy was somewhere with Ben. So she wasn't there. And then for some reason, like, I don't even know. I don't know what we were drinking, but you introed the wine. And... We finished out the podcast. We did everything. I didn't remember any of it. And I woke up the next morning, like still in the stream. I woke up the next morning and I was like, did we actually record? Like, what did we, what was the topic? What did we talk? What wine did we drink? And I call you and I go, Rachel, I don't remember recording yesterday. And she goes, well, oh, she you and you go well yeah I'm not surprised you drank a whole pint of wine and then I was even more confused because I was like what's a pint of wine who drink who measures wine in pints and I literally woke up from that dream in real time and had I was, it was like three in the morning. I had to convince myself that we had not already recorded because it <laughs> felt so weirdly real. Uh-huh. And I was like, no, you're literally recording like tomorrow. You're not, you have, you did not record yesterday. But it, I was like, what did we talk about? We talk, drink we, a pint of wine. Where, a pint? A pint? I don't know. How? I was, First of all. I was so confused. 
That's a great dream, though. I love it. I mean, the fact the fact that both my mom and dad were just on opposite sides and we were both trying to keep them hidden. Like, I don't know. Why would we keep them hidden? And why was I in Cape May and you were home home? Like, I don't know. It was so strange. So many weird incidences. A pint of wine. <laughs> A pint of wine. Amazing. Yeah. Well, I love that. I knew you would. That's why I waited to tell you. Amazing. But, um, all right. Well, Rachel, you have important things to say today. You have important things to update me and the world on because I still haven't heard about any of it. I sure do. Um, all right. So a little over a week ago. Your girl was in New York City, and I took the introductory sommelier course. Woohoo! Woohoo! And so, what this entailed, it was a two-day class, and you were supposed to come, like, well-prepared and well-studied up on the, like, the subject material. Um, and... We basically just went over the basics of wine growing and wine making and then the basics about each different wine growing country and the different wine regions within each wine country and the different um, like classification styles and the different soils and grapes that grow in each country, etc, etc. So it was a very, very fast-paced two-day course. Um, and at the end of the second day, we took an exam, a 70-question multiple-choice exam. And that determined if you passed or not. And I passed the class. Good job. Thank you. So I have a little certificate piece of paper and a little introductory course pin. I probably will. You have to. I will. And yeah, so that that was that. But the class was, it was crazy intense because it was so fast paced. But we had four different master sommeliers teaching the class, which was awesome. Wow. I got to meet some master sommeliers. Um, I know. And it was, it was just really cool. I... I'm definitely excited to continue on in my knowledge of the world of wine and yeah, continue at least to the next level of becoming a certified sommelier. What is the next level? A certified sommelier. Oh. (laughs) Yeah. That may have been a dumb question. That's okay. (laughs) (laughs) I think I started asking it before you said. Yeah. Whatever. Um, But yeah, so I was in New York for a couple days. Um, I flew up there. My dad was able to pick me up from the airport. Shout out Sam. Um, We got a couple drinky drinks and then the class was the next two days. And then hung out. With my sister at her apartment in the Bronx for one night. Um, went out with a couple of her roommates. Got some pomegranate martinis. Ooh. Had a blast. But yeah, all in all, it was a really fun weekend. I love New York. I miss New York. I got my pizza, my bagels. But that that's my big update. Caroline, how are you? Busy. 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 Yeah, I've been super busy. Um, I had four exams last week or like four super important assignments last week. Yeah. And so that was hectic. We're coming up on like um, almost to finals week. So things are like starting to really ramp up. But I'll be done. I don't – this is – I only have two more weeks left of the oh semester. My God. Yeah. I only have two so more weeks left. You have like a, 
it's like a trimester kind of thing. Yeah, because I do uh, fall, spring, and summer. Yeah. But so I'm going to be done in, in literally a couple of weeks because I think wow. our last day is April 14th. Uh-huh. So doesn't feel real. No. <laughs> and I'm almost done my first year of a doctorate program. Yeah. Wild. But yeah. And then my spring break is literally so packed because I'm going to North Carolina twice, literally in the same week. Yeah. <laughs> Separate trips. And then I'm going to go home at some point. But uh-huh. so I have like all this stuff that I have to get done before the end of the semester. And then immediately the day after my semester ends, I'm going to North Carolina. So I'm going away for like five days, coming back and then going back to North Carolina, coming back, going to be here for a little bit, going to Jersey, coming back, starting my summer semester, having to go back home like twice or three times during that semester of literally seven weeks uh, <laughs> having to go back. But then my birthday is in the middle of it. And so right now I'm trying to plan out my birthday because uh-huh. I think we're going to go on a trip for my birthday. Other than, I mean, that was such a tangent, but pretty much I like, I've been fine. I've been good. Um, I have a stable babysitting job right now, which is super exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, And I've really just been kind of going with life, just getting what I need to get done, done, Um, trying to plan ahead as much as I can because I do have a lot of stuff coming up that is stuff that a lot of the stuff like I can't wait or like I can't do early on. So I just have to like prep myself for it to come. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, life has been pretty fine. That's good. No, no major complaints. If I can remember, <laughs> there might have been. All right. Who knows? It's been so long. I know it has. Okay. Alrighty. So let's do it. Today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about the history of wine and how wine came to be. Bring us back. Yeah, so around 8,000 to 6,000 BC is when the first oh remnants. Oh, yeah. wait. Yeah, of course, because wine was during, like, Jesus' time. At I least, yeah. I don't know why I yeah. forgot that. Jesus was only 2,000 years ago. We don't conceptualize this right now. That's too much brain power. Anyway... Around the time of the Neolithic Revolution, which is when people went from hunting and gathering to starting to farm and Mm. grow their own crops and everything like that. And so the creation of wine was most likely an accident. Interesting. Yeah. Because during this time when they were growing all of their own produce and growing all their own materials they when it was all ripe they would pick it harvest it they would put it into baskets and they would just let it sit there until it was ready to be eaten and so most likely what happened is that there was a bunch of grapes and they started rotting and the juice started coming out and it started fermenting and it made wine but yeah so It actually also originated from China is the first remnants that we have um, where they would make wine or fermented drinks from honey, fruit and rice. And so the practice that they used making honey, fruit and rice wine then spread to the Middle East. Um, So in Georgia and Iran, And they would use grapes instead of honey or rice. And that's kind of where it started to spread from. And so they really focused in that area, making grapes into wine. And then it kind of spread out from there slowly. Hmm. So that was around 6,000 BC. And then in 3,000 BC was when the technique had spread to Egypt. And Egypt started really getting into the process of making wine 
And they were probably most likely some of the first wine experts. They like started making like clay jugs and like having like an actual process of how to keep the fermented grape juice Mm. um, and not just having to drink it right away. They were starting to get into the habit of storing it. And they also would label their clay jugs um, with the year it was made and the winemaker's name. Wow. So that is where it started. Like, the like actually, yeah, they started wow. labeling with the vintage. There you go. And, but with the name of the person who made the wine. And so that's where it actually started to like grow into a viticultural practice rather than just. Oh, where did we just have this grape juice that's been sitting here? Let's see if we can get drunk off of it. I did not know that it really started with Egypt. Yeah. And so in the next 2,000, two and a half thousand years, it kind of just spread all throughout the European region and blah, 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 blah. Eventually it made its way to the Greeks and the Romans. And Classic. We all know that story. 1,000 to 800 BC, the Greeks named a Greek god of wine. The Greeks and the Romans loved their wine. They loved their wine. And so the Greeks first named their god Dionysus. And the Romans soon followed at least by 200 BC. Um... And they named the Romans named their god Bacchus. But yeah, and so around 200 BC is when the Romans really took over the world of wine and they started fine tuning um, the work that the Greeks had done on their winemaking. And they actually started using wood barrels to transport their wine. Yeah, the Romans really did it up. Yeah. The Greeks kind of started it all, and then the Romans were like, hey, let's make this better. So I studied Latin for like five years. And in and all you were of our- a classics minor in college? But so all of our Latin textbooks, they would always have these artifacts in them. And half the time they were wine jugs because that was like everything to them. <laughs> yeah. They loved wine. wine. And at their symposiums, they would just drink gallons and gallons and gallons of it. Yeah. Craziness. And wine was just a huge part of, like, their religion, too. Like, it was just, it it ruled their lives. Well, I mean, it's still part of religion. Yeah, exactly. It's still part of Christianity. And so, yeah, and so the Romans really took over the viticultural practices um, that the Greeks had started to develop and made it their own. They made it better. And then skipping ahead to about 1000 AD, so now our time, the Chateau de Goulon was formed in the Loire Valley region of France and it is still running and functional today. It is family run, passed down generation to generation for 12,000 years or 1,200 years. Wow. Um, And it is the oldest winery business in function today. We should go. We should go. And so then, skipping ahead another 600 years, so 1600 Casually. <laughs> Casually just skip it. We're, we're skipping. There's slow periods of time, okay? It's, okay, it's fine. Okay. 1600 AD is when we started using uh, corks as stoppers on the bottles. Um, it's also when they started to make stronger glass bottles that would help to store the wine for longer periods of time. Um... And it's really when the process of storing and keeping up with wine really started, that started growing even more because all these things 
help the process of storing wine. Um, and then in 1830 AD is actually when the first modern wine bottle shape was created. So the wow. shape that we know and love as our wine bottles today, that's when it was created in 1830 AD. Wow. And then in 1864 was probably one of the biggest discoveries in the wine world. It's when a man named Louis Pasteur uh, discovered that yeast is the key ingredient that transforms grape juice into wine. Before that, they had absolutely no idea how the grape juice would ferment and turn into wine. I mean, I thought that it was just like, you let it sit. Yeah, but it's the natural yeast like in the air and in the juice that ferments it. Oh. That helps that that starts the process of fermentation. But that means until about 150 years ago, nobody really knew how the wine turned how the grapes turned into wine. They just knew that That's wild. Yeah. But so that that means until then everybody just thought, "Oh yeah, we'll mash the grapes, we'll let the juice like sit and we'll just it'll just turn into wine." That that's all they knew. Me. That would be my, my process. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It just magically happens. It just magic. It's, it's magic. Magic. <laughs> so yeah, in 1864, Louis Pasteur discovered that it's the yeast, the natural yeast that occurs in the process that turns the grape juice into wine go louis which was a huge discovery and that allowed us to from there start adding our own yeast and really making high quality wines rather than just wine that you can get drunk off of which we love it for that but like actually making really good high quality wines that like actually has because we flavor. could start exactly because they knew how to they knew what to add what ingredients to add to make the wine so they could actually make it good they could control a lot more of the process basically but yeah so while Rachel was having her little spiel i did Cre- I did gather some like random questions that I have no clue if Rachel knows the answer to, but so I figured get to find out if anyone knows the answer here, it would be Rachel. <laughs> so I have five questions. Okay. Go I guess it. I'll go with the one that kind of links most to what we were just talking about, which is what makes a region a good wine growing region? Um, it has to do with a couple of things. Um, most often it's the climate is the first factor. But like, what about the climate? Like, I know that the climate and the soil are huge, but like, what specifically about them makes it? Okay. Um, so for climate, you want a region that's not too wet. Um, that's, doesn't get a lot of, like, doesn't get an absurd amount of rain. Um, that's not going to, like, it, because if you have a climate that has too much rain, it'll quite literally drown the grapes. Okay. Um, and you want something that's a little more mild in temperature. It also depends on, like, what kind of grape you're growing. So if you have, like, a warmer climate, like something in, like, southern Italy, you would want a grape that's more suitable for like a warmer climate. And if you're growing in like a cooler region, like maybe let's say Germany, you would want something that's more suitable to a cooler climate, which could be a grape like Riesling. Okay. Um, so it kind of depends on like what climate, what kind of grape you're growing. Um, all those things. For soil, you want something that has good drainage because if the soil holds too much water, it'll rot the roots of the vine. And you want something that's it's going to be able to like still hold all of the nutrients and enough water 
for the vine to gather. Okay. And so those are just kind of like a couple of the things that makes it a good wine region. You want your region to, you need like a balance of everything kind of to make it a good region. So you want something that's a little warm, but not too hot or not too cold. And you want something that's like, will get some rain, but like not drown the grapes or not dry out the grapes. And like, it's finding that balance between everything that makes it a good wine region. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Number two. Number two. So I know that many wines are made with different grapes, like different, literal different types of grapes. Mm -hmm. But a lot of wines have, I mean, we've talked about it before, that wines have different notes. So like some wines have like an apple flavor. Others have blackberry. Others have whatever the heck. How do they add those notes into the wine? Or is it only because of the grape? So people don't actually add any flavor to a finished product, to a wine, to give it like the flavor notes. Um, it's all to do with the grapes. And so each kind of grape specifically will have specific um, flavors that it's more likely to have. Um, but it also has to do with the growing conditions. So like a wine that's grown in a warm climate is going to be a little more fruity, a little more like bold and round. And a wine that's grown in like a cooler climate might be, it's going to be more acidic. It's going to be a little, might be a little more earthy. It like might have more mineral notes to it. Um, so it's kind of, it's, it's all a condition of the grape and where it's grown and, and the terroir. Okay. Number three. Toi. On average, from when, let's say, from when the grape is grown, like it's ready to be picked, to when it's bottled, how long does it take to make wine? So the actual process of like, from picking the grapes until when it makes a wine is about three weeks. Oh, that's a so lot that, faster than I expected. Well, so that involves the picking, like picking the grapes, sorting them, like pressing them, getting all the juice out, letting either the, letting them sit with the skins and stuff or like separating it from that and letting it all ferment fully that's about three weeks however when it goes into bottling is a different story because that depends on how long you want the wine to age before it gets bottled and how long you want it to age depends on the wine yes it act well it depends mostly on what the winemaker wants the wine to end up like okay number 4 <laughs> so so during our little history lesson you told us when corks became the closer of wines yeah <laughs> the sealer were used as closures Yep, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. So a lot, most often, corks have been used to close off wines. But now, within the past few years, a lot of wines have become screw-offs. Mm -hmm. So is there a difference? Is one better or worse? Is there no difference? It doesn't really make a difference in the final product if it's sealed with a screw cap or with a cork. It's better environmentally. Yeah. Um, to use a screw cap because corks are from what it's the cork tree. There's a cork tree. Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. Um. So corks you have to like harvest from a cork tree to get the corks. Um, and they've started using like plastic corks now, which I guess are also they work. Um. But it ended up being a lot more uniform. 
using a screw cap. Um, because oh. if you use a cork, like sometimes the cork can go bad or it can rot, um, or it can like let in oxygen accidentally. Oh. Um, there's a lot more unknowns that can happen with a cork and they don't happen often or nearly as often as they used to, especially when corks were first being used as a closure. Um, but the screw cap definitely helped to to provide uniformity to the wines. There's a lot less going bad that can happen. So realistically, it doesn't matter no. whether a wine is a cork or a screw off. No. That's nice because I love screw wines. Screw <laughs> off. Screw wines. Yeah. Screw, screw cap caps. wines. Yeah. Because they're just so much easier. <laughs> yeah. There's just a lot of stigma surrounding it because everybody's like, oh, it's a screw cap. It's cheaper. But no. Yeah. Well, that's why I asked because I wondered whether the cork added something to the wine. Um, I feel like I remember hearing somewhere that there is no difference so I just didn't know if that was like accurate or if that was something else. Yeah. Nope. No difference. All right. And now I only have one more question. Last question. Is there a reason that red wines are typically bottled in a dark green or just dark bottle? Um... I think it's to let less light in. What does that matter? When you have a bottled product, um, when you have your bottled wine, you want to keep it away from harsh light and warm temperatures. So you want to keep it in a cooler setting because harsh light and warm temperatures, it can overheat your wine, which can then start to quote-unquote cook the wine oh and that just has like a negative biological effect on it so that'll like actually like oxidate the wine and i know i'm using a lot of big words here but basically (laughs) heat and light are bad for wine it's a no-no um it'll make your wine taste bad so and it's like a chemical reaction that happens and it, it just it's a no-no. Interesting. But yeah. Okay. And, like, obviously a little light is, like, it's not going to hurt it. And a little, like, warmer temperature isn't going to hurt it. But if it sits in that environment for too long, that's when it starts to have a negative effect. Interesting. But, yeah. Well, that was my last question. Well, there you go. And so I also did actually write something about... Uh, screw caps and I also wrote about canned wine and boxed wine um but in because these are all more modern practices of storing wine or like keeping wine and selling wine and yeah the kind of things that you put wine into um canned wines have actually been around for a little while now um they actually used to be sold in something that looked like a soup can. Oh. Yeah. And you would need, like, um, like something to pierce the can open with in order to get the wine out. But, yeah. So, they used to be sold in what looked... It looked like soup cans. Um, but recently, the hit of canned wine started in the early 2000s um and spread a little so it was like 2004 to 2014 it was like kind of getting out there and then 2014 it started to take off a little bit more and then now it's spreading underwood was actually the brand that kind of put canned wines all across the country Really? I this is my yeah. first time ever trying Underwood wine. Yeah. I've tried canned wines before. I just can't remember which ones. The Dark Horse. I have tried the Dark Horse. Mhm. But I've tried other ones. I just can't remember. I tried House Wine too. 
You really liked that one. I did like that one. Anywho. Um, Anywho. I mean, I know that for, you know, we, we are relatively fresh out of college. And I know that Franzia boxed wine was a huge college thing. Yes. Where any, any wine night that we had usually involved a box of Franzia. Yeah. And it was Ugh. like so sweet. So gross. Yeah. People, the whole thing was slap the bag because I guess I got the bubbles out so you could drink more. But during like peak pandemic when I was still home and I was living with my mom, at some point during COVID, we had gone to the liquor store because, of course, during COVID, everyone was drinking a lot more than, than they typically would. Yeah. But we started trying out boxed wines because we were like, well, these are, you know, not the Franzia kind, but there was the black box, there was Boda box. And so we thought, oh, let's, let's give it a try. I mean, why not? You can get way more wine and it's cheaper to get the box. And so we tried some and we actually really liked them. Like black box and Boda, I think I think my mom's favorite was Black Box mm-hmm. for the Pinot Grigio. And it was actually okay. really good. I mean, it was dry. It wasn't, like, super sweet. The flavors yeah. were there, you know. And we would just get those, and then we would just have them in the fridge. And whenever we felt like having wine, just <laughs> open it up, open, and there open you go. And I think what's funny is that I, I, I would like to think that a lot of people look down on them. Because they think, oh, they're cheaper or they're not going to be as as good or fancy because they're in this specific type of packaging. But realistically, I mean, they're not bad. No. They're not. So try try your canned and boxed wines. Yes. Um. But yeah, boxed wine was actually invented in Australia in 1965. Wow, all the way back then. I don't know why I assumed that boxed wine would be, like, much more modern. Yeah. But yeah, that is my little history lesson on the world of wine, the history of wine. How it came to be, where it is today. I feel like I definitely learned a lot. Oh, good. That I'm glad. I never would have known. Yeah. So. If you didn't have a wine toting best friend. My uh, intro sommelier. My introductory, your introductory sommelier. That's me. C'est moi. Rachel. 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 Anywho. Anywho. Now. So, since we went on a full tangent about canned and boxed wines, should we circle back to the canned wine that we are drinking? Absolutely. I was going to say it's wine time like we always do, but this whole episode has been wine time. So, it's this let's continue with wine, wine time. time. <laughs> it's this wine's time. Underwood Bubbles. The bubbles. Underwood the bubbles. Oregon grown. 11% alcohol. Union Wine Company. Made in Oregon. Underwood bubbles. Union Wine Company brings the spirit and character of Oregon to wines you can put on your table every day. We believe that the contents are more important than the container. That good wine should be able to go anywhere. We love our wine. We just don't drink it with our pinkies in the air. Hashtag pinkies down. Notes. Lemon verbena, white stone fruit, and apple. Carbonated wine. Yes. That's what the can says. If you couldn't tell. That is tell. what the whole back of the can says. It also says, please recycle. Which I shall. I will too. Oh, amazing. Anyway, um, I definitely have to say that I get the lemon in this. Okay. 
Do you get anything from this line, Caroline? No. <laughs> Bubbles. All I get from... <laughs> I was not going to say that. <laughs> but now I just might. <laughs> you know what I get from this wine, Rachel? Bubbles. <laughs> no, really, from this wine, I just get that it's very dry. Like, it's a dry wine. I really get lemon in this wine, though. Like, that is the one taste that continues on my tongue. Um, and it actually has a pretty long finish because I can still taste the wine that I had a couple seconds ago. I would agree on that. Like, it's still, t- it stays on your tongue. It, I agree. It is also very dry. I feel like I get the lemon afterwards. Like, mm-hmm. as if you sucked a lemon and then that feeling of it, like, after it goes down your throat. Yeah. Like, I get that from this wine. That's good. But besides that, just dry. <laughs> and bubbles. Dry bubbles. Yeah, I'm getting maybe a little pear. Pear and lemon is what I'm tasting. And I know you don't like pear. Is so you don't really know what pear fruit? tastes like. No, pear's like an apple. It has seeds like that. I, yeah, I, I didn't think that it was a stone fruit. That's just mm-hmm. the second thing that it says. White stone yeah, fruit. Wouldn't That's a stone a fruit be like peach? Yeah. Like a white peach? White peach. I feel like that's sweeter than this one. Yeah, though. I'm not. Maybe on like the way way finished, I could get that. Like get a little white peach. But I'm really getting pear and lemon. Interesting. That's what I get. I'm glad that you get that. Yeah. Because <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Thoughts? I get dry bubbles. <laughs> Good. Um, As far as rating this wine, I think... Mm, I'm between a three and a half and a four. Okay. I'm leaning towards three and a half because, like, I think that it's a good wine. I think it's yeah. a little too dry for my liking, which is funny because I do like dry wines. But I think it might just be, like, a hint too much. Yeah. But I do appreciate, like, if I'm going to have something with bubbles, I'm going to want something dry. Yeah. So I do appreciate that it is dry. The reason that I'm leaning towards a four is for the convenience of it. Because yeah. realistically, like... Let's say that you're on your way to, I don't know, a picnic or something, and you just go to a liquor store, you go to the grocery store, you can just pick that up and you can only just take one. It's two glasses of wine. That's Mm -hmm. all you need. You don't need anything more. Yeah. So the convenience of it is really nice because you just need to take that and go. So part of me wants to give it a four- because of how convenient it is, and it is a pretty good wine for being what it is, but I feel I think I'm leaning towards a three and a half. Okay. Because it's not my favorite. I would drink it again, definitely, but yeah. I know other canned wines that I like better, and I think I would go for those more. Yeah. So I think I'm going to stick with the three and a half. That makes sense. I would agree. For me, this is a solid three and a half. Um, I really like the, f- like, I like the acidity and the dryness of the wine. Um, it does have a lot of bubbles and I'm not the bubble, I'm not a huge fan of bubbles. I think the can but... exaggerates it a bit too. Yeah. Like if we had poured it into a glass, it wouldn't have been as bubbly. That's true. Or it would have like helped to dissolve some of the bubbles like it would mellowed it yeah but i like it i thought it was good i like the flavors i like the way it finished i like i liked it yeah i didn't think it was the most complex wine or anything like that but it's five six bucks for a can of two glasses it's great yeah it's convenient it's good. Exactly. It's something that you can get just on your way somewhere and be 
fine. Yeah. yeah. And I like it. Well, three and a half. Three and a half it is. There we go. Amazing. Yay. Well. On that note. I think that's all we had for today. I think it is. Let's see. What did, what do we have scheduled for next time? Oh, next time we're taking some personality tests. Ooh, that'll be fun. Thrilling. Yes. All right. So stay tuned for next week where we take some fun tests to learn a little bit more about Rachel and my personality. Personalities. We are very different people. We do not have the same personality. No, we do not. But not you even will get, close. You'll get to learn a little bit more about each of us. And maybe you'll be inspired to learn a little bit more about yourself. Absolutely. So for all of you who have been wanting a very wine-heavy episode, I hope that you all enjoyed. This one was for you. It was. And this was also one that Rachel really, really wanted to do. So I'm glad that you got your spotlight. My wine episode. Yes. And we will definitely have more of them in the future. Yes, we do. We pretty much have everything planned until like June or July. Yeah. (laughs) Which is kind of crazy, but we really have planned a lot of stuff. And so we have a lot of really cool topics coming coming at you within the next few months. Um, of course, be if any- so exciting. Yeah, it's going to be really cool. And if anyone has any suggestions of things that they would like to hear on the podcast, please let us know. We have Instagram, TikTok, Vivino, where you can see what we've rated the wines. And that's it. So check us out on Instagram. Check us out on TikTok where we're going to be posting hopefully more soon. But beyond that, I hope you all enjoyed. You can follow us at all three at Vibin' with Vino, by the way. Vibin' with no G. No G. On that note, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. See ya! See ya!